This is the Baymall Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host Brent Billings. Today we are jumping into John 7, discussing Jesus' engagement, or maybe lack thereof, with the Festival of Tabernacles. Yeah. How long has it been, Brent, since we had like a 20, 25-minute episode? <laughs> oh boy. A while? Well, uh, so actually our liturgy episode uh, oh, okay. with, with yeah. L was yeah. only 23 minutes, but... Okay, you know that was yeah that was special, but that was something special. I'm sure, that was something. It special. was an episode. It counts. Yeah. Before that, you got to go all the way back to session five. <laughs> uh, we did probably get some in session five too. Session two was the home of some twenty twenty five minute episodes. I'm already killing time right now. I think today we we may we may. I mean, we always joke when I say this. It's probably going to end up being like 48 minutes. Our, long, our longest episode of session five was only twenty six minutes. Hey, I, I say we. Harken back to the days of a short little drive to work. I'm sure our listeners don't want that. They want they want, <laughs> they want the long commute. But uh, throw on some country music when we're done. Well, finish your finish your commute with some good old, you know, whatever. Dylan Scott playing on the radio. Much like in the prophets, uh, you know, we had short episodes, but it's like you know, we're just leaving you more time to dig into the text yourself. So. Leaving you more time. The challenge is on the table. Well, Brent, how about we start reading? I'm just going to interrupt you as we go, and we'll see how it goes. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. Were you going to interrupt me? It sounded like you were going to interrupt me. You you just paused, and now I feel like I have to interrupt you. (laughs) It is interesting. I didn't necessarily catch that the first time around as I was kind of preparing. I just kind of saw the first verse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And I remember later on in the passage that we're going to go over today, Jesus is going to talk about, but you guys are trying to, why are you trying to take my life? And people are like, you're crazy. Who's trying to take your life? And I felt like when Jesus said it, my initial reaction when I was preparing for the episode was, yeah, like that's, yeah, we, we don't necessarily have any evidence in the text. And lo and behold, we do have evidence in the text. It's in the very first verse of our passage that we're told by John, they were waiting to take his life. Okay, well, there you go. So they are they are plotting to figure out how they're going to do away with him. Very interesting. Okay, well. There you go. Learning something <laughs> there new. There you go. Uh, you're seeing how this episode is going to be more than 25 minutes in real time. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. All right. So that last verse there, verse five, gives us um, the context we need to know the tone of the two previous verses. Like when his brothers talk to him, without verse five, you're like, man, what what kind of tone do they, what kind of tone are they saying? Are they like authentically being like, oh, you should say something because that's, you know, that's how you build a platform, Jesus. That's how you, that's how do you build a you know, social media presence. That's how you build a name. Um but verse five lets us in on a little bit of context. Like they are definitely saying this with this, whether it's a, 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 a like a passive aggressive tone that you can see, or whether it's one that's buried under some hypocrisy or whatever. They're definitely trying to goad him into like, hey, if you think you're 
this son of man character, if you think you are everything that you've been talking about, um, you know, you should, you should definitely go, go do something, go make something of yourself here at, uh, Sukkot, the festival of tabernacles. Sukkot, maybe we should in the show notes, Brent, just for, since we'll have some extra time today, people could look up, uh, what is a festival of tabernacles and we'll link our favorite site from Chabad, which is more modern Judaism than ancient, but, uh, would still be helpful to know which festival we're dealing with here, but. Yeah, they're kind of, it uh, feels like they're kind of goading him into, you know, you should definitely make a name for yourself. I, I'm right now with my, I'm, I'm doing my memorization every day with my children. And right now I'm memorizing the story of Joseph. And I just get like super heavy Joseph vibes, but that's because Joseph was on my brain. But um, his brother's jealous of him. Like, anyway, just some thoughts on potential remez material not saying that it's there just that's some of the things that are popping in my head as i hear that but yeah all right so yeah Go ahead. sukkot it will be the title of it right not they they won't mention festival of tabernacles because that would be the translation yeah yep sukkot is the holiday you, you are working with yep that's the hebrew because sukkot means tabernacles a sukkah is a shelter a booth and sukkot is plural for sukkah so Sukkot would be tabernacles, booths, shelters, that kind of thing. So, yeah. Perfect. Uh, the other thing I was thinking about, well, obviously we're not talking about the chosen, but I just wonder if this little chunk of scripture is an influence on a little bit with what we see in John the Baptist, where John is trying to say, like, you know, I'm going to go do this. My followers are going to love it. You should, you know, do this kind of stuff with your followers, but also with, uh, the Shmuel storyline where he's like, yeah, I'm going to go down and I'm going to go down to Jerusalem. I'm going to start preaching about false prophecy. And, and, uh, you know, he kind of goes down there and finds his little apple box to stand on and, <laughs> you know, not much comes of it. I, I just wonder if, if this passage is an influence on neither of those things. Yeah. I don't, I don't know about the passage being an influence for it, but it's definitely that, right. It's that paradigm. It's that line of thinking. And obviously alive and well today, as tempting as ever. But uh, yeah, absolutely. That's a good connection. Okay. Um, Therefore, Jesus told them, my time is not yet here for any time will do. The world cannot hate you. Okay, hold on, hold on. Say that that one more time in the NIV. My time is not yet here for... Oh, I missed a word. (laughs) Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. (laughs) Uh, Not only every verse, but every word, I would would hope. (laughs) Jesus told them, my time is not yet here for you. Any time will do. Yeah, I love that. I do love that statement, which is why I wanted to make sure I said what I thought it said. <laughs> it is It is what we titled our episode. Yeah, that's right. So Jesus, Jesus responding to the brothers, not so much that like what they're saying is so dead wrong. But he's like, no, 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 that's not, that's not what I'm doing right now. Like, I, I know what the program is. I know what we're up to. And remember, we've mentioned this before. We're going to circle back to this at the end of our study on John. We're not going to do it today. I want to get to the end of John. And then maybe we might do like a, I don't know, a capstone episode or two talking about some bigger ideas. But uh, remember that John is kind of broken up into two different books, two different parts. I don't know if I would call them volumes, but uh, two different movements of the book of John. The first one being the book of hours is what I've heard most people call it. Sometimes the book, no, excuse me, not the book of hours, the book of signs. So the first book being the book of signs, 
And then the last part of the book being the book of hours or the book of glory, I think is what uh, Dr. Gary Burge called it. So the first part, the book of signs, that's where you see all the miracles, the signs that Jesus is doing. And then the last part of the book, the book of hours or the book of glory. And so Jesus keeps saying in the book of signs, my hour is not yet here, my hour is not yet here. And at the end of the book of John, it's like, okay, his hour, his hour is here. So this is the book of hours. Um, and John mentions hours quite quite a bit. So it's signs in the first part, hours in the second. And they're like, hey, you need to go make yourself known. It's time to build It's time to build that platform. It's time to expand that reach and that voice and that influence. And Jesus is like, nope, that's not what time, it's not time for that. Of course, and I, and I, I wrestle with the back part of the sentence. For you, any time will do. Like, wow, I still wonder what Jesus means exactly by that. Is he trying to say simply, you don't have to worry about that? Or is he trying to say, you could live out your calling Oh, brothers, anytime you want to, like, I have a particular mission and calling and, and it's not time. My hour for that has not yet come your hour. Uh, you could live out your calling anytime you want. God's invitation to you to be the people he's called you to be is now it's anytime. So feel free. Uh, that's how I kind of read that, which I, I love. Cause I feel like that's also kind of a, a, a reminder if that is what Jesus is getting at. It's a reminder to me, like, uh, our call is 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 always anytime will do for us anytime will do any any opportunity to follow Jesus any opportunity to be the people that God called us to be any opportunity to be a, a kingdom of priests a holy nation any opportunity anytime anytime time is now don't have to wait we're not waiting for something else any anytime will do maybe that's not what Jesus is saying but I I, I love to hear it that way yeah and I wonder so reading on uh, the world cannot hate you but it hates me because I testified that its works are evil. And I wonder, like, that's how I would normally read that. The world cannot hate you. But I wonder if the emphasis is supposed to be on the you. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. For you, any time will do. You go to the festival. I'm not going uh, up to yeah, this yeah, festival. Yeah, sure. Yeah, right, right. Uh, so, yeah, I just wonder what the what exactly the right emphasis is on that. Yeah, well, yes. Yeah, it's really cool. Cool little sentence or two here. Very interesting. I like that. I'm just going to read this whole paragraph just to get the whole thing in context. Therefore, Jesus told them, my time is not yet here for you. Any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I am not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. After he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. It's an interesting addition. My time has not yet fully come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I just noticed that too, as you read that like yeah yeah very i wish i knew more confidently about the greek and what that may or may not imply but because it, it seems to be different in other in other parts of this story and in other stories previously in john or even in parts of john yet to come but i'll be watching for that now so interesting grab yeah nat footnote says alternate so they translate it i'm not going up to this feast because my time has not yet fully arrived uh, they said alternate translation would be my time has not yet come to an end. And they say it's a possible hint of Jesus' death. And then uh, the Greek says literally my time is not yet fulfilled. So it, feel, it feels like throughout John, potentially, potentially up to this point, the language is, is somewhat moving and shaping and shifting towards his time is not here, but it is getting closer. It is approaching. 
So that's how I would hear that NET footnote, but I could be crazy. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. He's, he's initially saying like, look, my time's not yet here, but I will concede that it is coming. Yep. Right. Okay. Moving on. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also not publicly, but in secret. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. Uh, but no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. And so apparently we've had disagreement for ages over, uh, you know, who people are and what they're up to. <laughs> yes. And I, I think the people <laughs> were clearly right. <laughs> if he, uh, if they're saying he deceives people, he did deceive his brothers about whether he was going to the <laughs> festival. <laughs> it's an interesting placement for that accusation. Actually, I can remember being in Bible college. I can't remember if we had to, I don't think we had to write a paper on it, but we definitely had an assignment and a class discussion over like, explain this passage. Jesus says he's not going. And then he goes, is he being, is he being, you know, deceitful? And it just seemed like a weird kind of an asinine debate to me, but it felt like to me, his brothers are saying, man, you got to go, you got to go publicly. You got to, and she's like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not going, I'm not going like that. We are told he stays in Gal, so he doesn't go with everybody publicly. He does go in secret, so he's not going in public. I'm not going to the festival. I'm not going with you in public to make a public statement. I'm not going to show myself. Yep. I, I am going to show up a little late. I'm going to arrive late to the party. Um, and I don't know if he had his hood up or, you know, whatever whatever is going on there, if he was wearing his shawl over his had to not be seen, but he goes in secret, whatever that means. But that, that seems to make sense to me. It doesn't seem like a a weird conundrum to me or that Jesus is necessarily deceived. I don't even think I would say he's even deceiving his brothers at that point. He's just like, I'm not, I'm not doing what you asked me to do. I am going to go over here and do my own thing. Thank you very much. Okay. So not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. Which I love right on the heels of what we just said. <laughs> mm-hmm. So so he's not going in public. He goes in private. He doesn't go at the very beginning so that everybody can be seen. He shows up a little late. And it's not until half. So he spends the first half of the festival. Which how, how long is that going to be? It's a, so it's an eight-day celebration. Seven nights at least. Probably include the, eight, the eighth night, the last and greatest day of the feast. So eight days, eight nights. Um, and... And so, yeah, so four days in, three, at least three, three or four, maybe five, I don't know, whatever, three or four, five days in, he starts to teach. Does he not teach publicly? Is he teaching over in the, he's in the temple courts, seems like a pretty public place to be teaching. Was that planned? I feel like maybe his next few, the next few verses here are going to give us maybe some insight to that. Um, But I do find it interesting. He's not going to make a public scene. He's not going in public. He's not going on time. He shows up late. He's in secret. And then halfway through, he starts teaching. And I I don't picture Jesus being like without (laughs) self-control. Like, I just can't take it anymore. I have to lead a Bible study. Um, But uh, just an interesting, this is a very, that's the interesting part of this passage we're looking at today, no doubt. The Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? All right. What an interesting statement. How did this man, obviously he's super good. I mean, we've been watching this throughout all of our study. Jesus is brilliant. 
He's amazing with the text. He does things with parables that we just haven't even seen throughout Jewish history at times. It's really something. And so when he teaches, everybody around him is like, man, this guy this guy knows his stuff, and he is good with his text. And look at him do Gezra Shabbat, and look at him use that Kovachomer, and look at him like use all these rabbinical principles. Where did this guy get his teaching and his learning? And we've kind of talked about this before. It, it, this verse at least tells me, I believe it tells us, because they say, how did this man get such learning without having studied? So Jesus did not have some big public pedigree. According to people's public knowledge of him, he did not go to, go through all of Bet Sefer, Bet Midrash, Bet Talmud. He, he didn't have some public rabbi that everybody knew about, or that statement makes no sense at all. So his education, if anything, quote unquote formal, and I use that term very loosely. Well, the the NET puts formal in the text. They translate it as he never had formal instruction. Okay. So thank you, NET. Thanks for making my point. Their footnote clarifies that what they mean by that is he did not study under a recognized rabbi. Yeah. So again, and here's Marty's theory, and everybody writes me their confused email. I I think John has this really informal rogue relationship with Jesus as his instructor at the very least as his colleague it's not formal it's not it's not formal everything John does is a little bit rogue it's a little bit off the beaten path it's a little bit radical it's a little bit fringe it's a little bit fanatical and I think he trained Jesus and and people will write me their email but they were so close in age but all yes but nothing that Jesus is doing, you just read it right there in the verse. You just read it. Nothing that Jesus is doing fit the normal, formal education pattern. And I, we've recommended this book before, but I would recommend uh, Bruce Chilton wrote a book, um, Rabbi Jesus. Great scholar. You're probably not going to agree with everything you read in that book. I I. I I don't agree with everything I read in that book. I'm not recommending it to you because it's gold. I just recommend it to you because he has some very interesting insight, opinions about the historical context and what that would have meant for Jesus. It It is Chilton's belief that Jesus would have been treat, treated more as a, a mumser, a mamser, that what, what we would translate as maybe an, an illegitimate, a bastard child because of his birth narrative, who is... Who is Jesus' true father if it's not Joseph? And you can say the virgin birth. I get that. But the general public is not buying that as your legitimate genealogical birth narrative. And so without one, everybody's going to assume you come from some illegitimate birth situation. And therefore, that means Jesus is going to be on the fringes of society, not embraced by the formal education system, not excluded it's not that in the Galilee, Mumsers had no interaction, but just he would have had, he, he would not have been your star pupil. He would not have been the one that the town would have looked at in Nazareth or any of those places and went, that guy, he he's the guy we're all looking for. Okay. So um, Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory, 
But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Okay, so Jesus says, and here's where I think we might get some insight. And again, it's like a broken record. I'm really seeing this now all throughout John. I can't unsee it. Jesus continues to say, I'm getting my orders. I'm taking my perspective. My paradigm is being shaped by above, by my Father, by a heavenly perspective. And and it seems to be invitational. This is not just, I'm Jesus, I'm the Christ, I have a special line to the Father. It seems to be this invitation to like see things from a different perspective, see things from, we're going to see this here in about a paragraph, see things from this heavenly, quit seeing things from this boxed in, worldly paradigm focused only on worldly things and worldly ideologies and worldly agendas, be them religious, spiritual, whatever, see them through see them through God's perspective. That's what so maybe that's why Jesus goes. He did he didn't go to the festival. He didn't intend to speak. And yet he senses the Father telling him, do some teaching. I don't know. It doesn't tell me that, make that connection. But I do wonder if that provides us with some insight into what he's doing at the festival and when and why. He's saying, I'm taking my orders. I know when my hour has come and what time it is to do what because I'm looking at it from a different perspective than from what everybody else. I'm not trying to build my platform. That's not why I'm here. But I am here to do the will of my Father. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? And when I first read this, that's where I heard the, like, what are you talking about, Jesus? Nobody's, at this point, nobody's trying to kill you yet. Which, go ahead and read the next verse. (laughs) So, uh, it says, you are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Which, if you only read the first part, it's like, we're trying to kill you because you're (laughs) demon-possessed. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, But they're saying he's crazy who's trying to kill him nobody's trying to kill him right yep uh, you must be possessed by a demon because that's ludicrous only we were just told at the beginning of the passage today it's not ludicrous there are, there there are these active plots to kill and maybe not everybody knows about it but jesus is aware and he says man this is where this worldly perspective is taking us we're not able to rise above we're not able to have a different conversation You have the law of Moses, and yet you so misunderstand the law of Moses. You so misapply the law of Moses. You so abolish, to use season three language, you're so abolishing abolishing Torah and the way that you live it out. You're, You're actually trying to do away with the one who is fulfilling Torah. And they're like, you're crazy. What? What is, who's trying to kill you? So go ahead. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that it's the crowd here who makes that statement because he's having the conversation. The NIV translates it the Jews, but the NET points out that it's probably the Jewish leaders here. But he's he's having this conversation and then the crowd, you know, Jesus is like, why are you trying to kill me? And the crowd's like, hold on a second. Yeah, right, right. It's a great point. Yeah. We've been following this conversation, but who's trying to kill you? (laughs) Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah, what a great... It seems like Jesus ignores them. It says that he answered... And the NIV says, Jesus said to them, but it seems like based on his answer that he's actually ignoring the crowd altogether. And he's still talking with the religious leaders says, uh, Jesus said to them, I did one miracle and you were all amazed. Yeah. Because Moses gave you circumcision though, actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. 
Now, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Yeah. And uh, that last phrase, I lo- it reiterates what we were just sharing about a moment ago, like Jesus saying, you need to see with the right set of eyes. You need to be able to perceive this correctly. And I think I said earlier in some earlier podcasts, I think one of the themes of John is illumination, like spiritual illumination, to see things in the light of the logos, to see things from God's perspective. And he's saying, and you so you so miss it. You're willing to circumcise on the Sabbath because you so want to uphold what the law requires. And Jesus is saying, but what does the law, tr- what is the whole law ultimately about? Is it not about life? I think back to the Chosen episode we talked about on Monday, like, that opening scene where David and the priest are talking about, this is what the law says. Okay, but but the law is actually about life, and Jesus is here making the exact same connection. This, The law is about life. The law is about love. The law is about goodness, and, and you're willing to do the things that make, like, legal sense. You want to do circumcision on the Sabbath. You want to follow all these rules and at the same time forget the very essence of, of what those rules call us toward. And I think on so many levels, and I think I'm always so aware because of John's use of the term Jews, the Jews, the Jews, the Jews. Like, I want to be real careful that doesn't get projected into like a super Sessionistic conversation today because I think much of Judaism would absolutely agree with Jesus in a lot of ways here. I don't know about 100%, but they're absolutely going to say, yes, the law is about life. The Sabbath observance is about love and life and goodness. They would affirm all those things. In the first century, Judaism still trying to figure out this dance. They are still trying to figure out what is the law's relationship and our observance and where does that land and fit. So that conversation is happening, but this isn't just stupid Judaism, not at all. This Jesus is entering, he's wading into that conversation a conversation that Judaism ultimately does navigate for the most part in a way that I think for the most part we would affirm. Obviously some nuances I think we'd probably um, deviate from or, or, or have, you know, our paths would go in different directions, but in very large ways, way more than I think we would typically assume that conversation would be affirmed in a modern Jewish perspective today as well. Well, and like the, uh, uh, there's that parenthetical thing in the middle where it says, yeah, because Moses gave you circumcision parentheses, though it actually, though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs in parentheses, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. So I don't know. How do they know that's a parenthetical statement? Because I think if that statement is coming from John later, it flavors things differently than if Jesus made that statement himself. You- Usually when you have a pet, and this is a huge sweeping statement, so save your angry emails, but usually when you have a parenthetical statement, and it's one of the things I appreciate about the NIV, it's usually because there's something about the language, something about the manuscript evidence, something in there that's making, this does not flow right. There's usually like this later insertion, and some people would be like, yes, John, like what you just said, John inserted it. To me, this feels like an early church insertion. I have some theories about 
how the Gospels were originally constructed and then re- – I don't have the theories. I've read some really amazing theories from scholars I really respect about how our Gospels came to be, the four Gospels that we have, where they came from. I think that's a later insertion trying to explain like – because people that – People that know enough are going to be like, wait a minute, Moses didn't institute circumcision. So they're putting in this little insertion like, actually, we know it came from Abraham. But Jesus's point is that part of the Mosaic law, in fact, you could say, going back to session four, the Mosaic law is represented by circumcision. So it's not like Jesus misspeaks. It's that Jesus is making a point about the Mosaic law and the covenant of Sinai represented by circumcision. And it feels to me, I, I I hesitate. That was a long way. That was a long way for me to answer your, to give <laughs> thought to your question, Brent. I hesitate greatly. In fact, I do more than hesitate. I always stop before I go. I feel like John's trying to tell us something because I don't feel like those parenthetical comments. It's the same thing that shows up in Acts, in the vision with Peter and the sheet that comes down out of heaven. And there's a parenthetical statement about, in this, Jesus declared all food clean. And you're like, what? Like, that doesn't flow well. It doesn't belong there. It doesn't even sound like Luke. And and I just, I completely just kind of set that aside and go, I have big questions about that little portion there that we find in the text. But I digress. You are free to disagree with me. Well, uh, and I was just wondering if it's like a... Uh... Like he's appealing, like, hey, you're all about the law of Moses, but Sabbath was instituted before the law of Moses. Circumcision was instituted before the law of Moses. If there's if there's that sort of like preeminence thing, you know. You may make me a believer. I really like that line of thinking. Kind of like what we talked about in Hebrews with the, you know, he's like, oh, well, Jesus is in yep. the order of Melchizedek. Yep. And yep. that's, a, that's yep. an earlier, you know more sure i don't know if you say that's more important or just more uh-huh. like hey this was like i know you've got this this line of priests but like there were there were priests before that and so yep just because jesus isn't in this line doesn't mean he's not in the line of of priests so sure yep yeah okay well i think that's enough questions we may have stretched it beyond half an hour brent billings good work <laughs> Well, you know, sometimes you read the text and you you got questions. The Bible does that to us. Hopefully it's what we're doing every week. Yeah, the Bible does that to us. All right. Well, we'll we'll wrap it up. We'll give people a, a short one for this week. So I don't know. It's kind of nice. Kind of nice. Kind of nice. Don't expect it. Don't expect it in the future a whole lot. I, I do not ever resent for a moment uh, any, any of the work <laughs> that I do on the podcast, but... It is it is semi refreshing, you know. Every once in a while, when I'm editing there an episode go. and it's only there thirty minutes, <laughs> so yeah. I I thank you all for bearing with me um, as I as I quickly edit this short episode. <laughs> we got to make up for Reed Dent somehow. All that work you had to do for him. Oh goodness. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode. If you want to get a hold of Marty, you can find him on Twitter at Marty Solomon. I'm at EIBCB. And you can find more details about the show at BamaMonestipeShop.com. So thanks for joining us on the Bama Podcast. Enjoy your extra time digging into the text. And we'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>